Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today's episode number 390, and it's going to be completely different than the 389 preceding episodes. So a while back, Jeff Molesky and Jeff Boobles reached out to us and asked to have me and Steve Bain on their podcast called The Agile Wire, where they discuss adventures and misadventures on their continuing journey towards agility. Uh, Agile, for those of you that don't know, it's a popular uh, frame of thinking that's popular around um, uh, programming and product management and other things like that. So Steve and I both had a blast being on the other side of the microphone as we both shared our perspective on what we've learned from Beyond the Uniform, why veterans are more flexible in the workplace than you'd think, and more. For context, Jeff Molesky served as a signal officer in the Wisconsin Army National Guard, and his co-host, Jeff Boobles, is brother to Kevin Boobles, a veteran and longtime Beyond the Uniform supporter. We list the Agile Wire in the show notes for this episode, along with links to more information about Jeff and Jeff. If you like our conversation, definitely check out their podcast. And so with that, enjoy this different style of interview today, and we'll dive in to this four-way conversation with me, Steve, Jeff, and Jeff. All right, so we have a special episode this week of the Agile Wire and Beyond the Uniform. Um, for those that don't know, that are our listeners here at the Agile Wire, uh, Beyond the Uniforms, a podcast that's out there that help um, military people who are transitioning out of the military into the civilian world, and it's a resource for them to to help with that transition. Uh, we've got Justin and we got Steve on, um, the host, and um, Steve, you're the producer? Is that what your title going Producer, chief of staff, I kind of moonlight as the host sometimes. I'm, I'm just kind Everything. of like, yeah, I'm like the den mother in the background that keeps Justin propped up. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, so why don't the two of you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you're coming from? We can do the same for your listeners. As this is going to be a dual episode, and then we can dive into some topics. So Steve, why don't you give us a little background first? Sure. My name's Steve Bain. Um, my day job is I'm a project manager. I'm a government contractor. Um, Served in the Army for nine and a half years as a Chinook helicopter pilot. Jeff, that's where I served with your brother. That's how we kind of know each other. But I got out of the Army in 2016 and have been working in aerospace defense ever since. Working with Justin ever since 2016 on various side hustles, one of which is Beyond the Uniform. And we just wanted to share people's stories and, and show a way that folks transition. And hopefully we can pay it forward to the next folks that are coming after us. I'm Justin Nasiri. Uh, my day job, I run a tech company called Captivate.ai. We take podcasts and webinars and turn them into about three months of social media content. Um, I served in the Navy on submarines for five years, got out, went to business school and have been in in tech entrepreneurship now for 10 years. Um, Started a podcast called Beyond the Uniform. We're 380 episodes deep. I would be 100 episodes deep if it weren't for Steve. He's kind of kept things going and it keeps things running. But um, yeah, really honored to be here and appreciate you guys having us on your show. Awesome. And Jeff, how about you do? You give a little intro, maybe a little military background, you know, yeah, your history. Um, so I was an officer with the signal branch in the Army. Um, primarily spent most of my time as a, a platoon lead for a network extension um, company. And then 
uh, in my civilian career, which is the majority of my career, uh, work as a primarily a product owner. So similar to Steve with a project management, um, a little different take on it, uh, but I do a lot of coaching and training and I'm currently with Acorns. And I'm Jeff Bubals. Um So I don't have any military experience. I'm just a wannabe. My brother, Kevin, uh, was a Chinook pilot with Steve. Um, served, and they're in Afghanistan together. Um, I am a professional scrum trainer, scrum.org. I run my own company called Humane Consulting, where we do organizational agility advising for organizations. So a lot of people have heard of digital transformations. Um, I help them make that more into a journey and help, you know, help them be more responsive and adaptive to change. Um, I started my career as a developer, kind of got into product management, uh, more of the business side of things, um, and then got into agile coaching and, and now more um, organiz- holistic organizational advising. Um, and we love, and Jeff and I love having this podcast because we get to talk with really cool people and we learn a lot from it and we get to share a lot with uh, you know our community, our agile community that's out there. So what kind of prompted this podcast is, you know, I've heard a a couple different leaders say recently, you know, you know, we want to make sure we're doing the opposite of command and control leadership, like that military leadership, like they, they reference military and command and control as one thing. And we need to move more towards servant leadership. And usually um, it, it sparks a conversation of, well, what do you really mean by that? And why do you think military, you know, leadership um, is command and control leadership? And, and so I guess I, I, I don't know, I, Steve, Justin, like, what's your what's your response if somebody were to say that to you? Like, oh, that military leadership, you must be all about command and control leadership. Um, what would you say to somebody who who said that? Yeah, I'll start, Justin, if you don't mind. I, I so I think it's a common misconception that folks that are in the military are these rigid robots that just follow orders. Um, it's yes, yes, there's orders and there's structure, but many times it's here's the objective. It's on you to go figure out how we're going to get from A to B. There's actually quite a bit of entrepreneurial spirit in the military where um, you're underfunded, you're under-resourced, you don't have enough time, and you have to make it happen. And, and uh, I think that's why so many successful entrepreneurs come out of the military environment is because you're just used to running at that pace, not having everything you need, but still achieving the mission and the results. So I don't think it's as black and white as some of your previous guests have described. It's, there is there's the overarching commander's intent. And then the responsibility to execute that is delegated down to the lower level. And, and the lower you can drive that, the better the results generally tend to be. Helps grow the people in the organization. And, and nine times out of 10, uh, even if you do make mistakes, folks are learning from it. They're growing from it. They're not making those same mistakes again. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Justin. Yeah, I'll, I think that's perfect. I, I would just say for you know, I started my military time at, as, as a freshman at the Naval Academy. And one of the things that they did there is they had this thing called Message to Garcia. And the big takeaway was just kind of a story of someone who was given a lot of ambiguity and a mission to accomplish. And that person, you know, broke through walls to achieve the mission. And that's one trait that I identify with many of the people that we've interviewed on Beyond the Uniform is this ability to have a vast amount of ambiguity and find a way to accomplish the mission. And, you know, my experience, 10 years of entrepreneurship, that's one of the biggest things that I have to do is on a daily basis, deal with ambiguity to accomplish the mission. Um, and I would say the, the other thing that comes up for me is my experience on submarines was, you know, maybe one out of 10 times, if I told the, the men that worked for me to just do something, maybe one out of 10 times I could get away with that. But nine out of 10 times you, you have you're dealing with an extremely bright workforce like you have to 
enlist them in, in accomplishing whatever you need to do. And so I don't think that that works any different than what I've seen in the civilian side of things where it's like, yeah, one out of 10 times you can kind of get away with like, just get the job done, just do it. <laughs> you know, you've got a lot going on, you just execute. But most of the time, if you're not engendering trust, if you're not demonstrating the ability to sell what you're doing, people will lose interest or go somewhere else. So that, that was my experience on submarines, not, not too different than outside of the uniform. Hey, Steve, well, Je Jeff was showing a picture earlier, and, and I was trying to look for the rank, uh, and it looked like you were a captain. Were you a commissioned officer or NCO? I was commissioned. Uh, I left the Army um, as a captain about a year prior to when I would have pinned major. So nine years and two months and 20-something days, not that anybody was counting. <laughs> <laughs> so but part, part of the reason I asked that is, um, you know, my, my, my soldiers would affectionately refer to me as a pencil pusher. And when we were pushing out the orders, when we were writing up the orders, you, you would hit on something that that commander's intent, that end state um, and how. Well, I mean, the, the entire op board uh, is important, but just kind of painting that picture of what is done look like, what does success look like and why do we need to move this to direction? Um, to me, it was always always really resonated. So when I when I went into the, the army, um, I was the old man. I, I turned 30 at basic training when I was going through. So. Typically, there there were 18-year-olds, maybe a 20-year-old inside of there. So I was a lot older. Um, and I had the the good fortune of probably just more uh, experience under my belt going in. And that served me really well as I, as I was going through TRADOC and, and, and finally making it into my first company there. But th that clear vision, that clear end state, um, again and again, what, what kind of comes up to me in both a civilian and a military career and I'm, I was kind of curious from both your perspectives, like what what are the other kind of big takeaways? Because as you were talking, I feel like if commanders really did micromanage the way people seem to think, they, they would achieve successfully achieve failure every time. Because uh, you talked about that ambiguity that that we just have to embrace. That's just part of our job. So what, Justin and, and Steve, what are kind of the other big takeaways for you when you're thinking about what was a successful leader for you in military life? I'll, I'll start this one off. You know, I think that I'll speak to kind of the military, my military experience, which is 10 years out of date, you know, over 10 years out of date. And then um, more from the 380 people we've, we've interviewed on the show. My, my experience was like an ability, both at the Naval Academy and submarines to see some of the best and the worst leaders that I'll ever see in my life. Like when I think back to General John Allen, who, from the Marine Corps, who was at the Naval Academy when I was there, like hands down the best leader I've ever seen. Like his care for people is one of the trends, like he embodied that. And that's something I think was drilled into us at the Naval Academy was like, you have to take care of your people. And when mm -hmm. I think of fantastic leaders, that's the hallmark is like, and I remember we took uh, we took at the academy we took a tour of Jet Stadium and um, one of the general managers there was a prior veteran and like this guy was going around and like every person he passed he knew their name he's like hey joe do we get you that headphone set you need it was just like unbelievable at that scale but i saw that trait of like you have to take care of your people or or there, there's nothing and i and i would say in the last 10 years when i see veterans like i think that's something they excel at is like really and it's funny because you don't think most people don't identify veterans or people in the military as empathetic, but I think there's a, an extreme amount of empathy there. Like, what are they needing? How do I support them? And I, I think that's a difference in um, most civilian leaders. It, they don't necessarily have that trait. 
Um, and I think that there's, you know, I think that we, we would call it command presence. I think that like I saw great examples of that, of people who were able to embody um, uh, kind of not certainty, but, but confidence and really imbue people and give them a sense of purpose and mission and like really fire them up. And again, not everyone was able to do that, but some people had that command presence where you're like, I'll, I'll rush into, you know, bullets with it for this person. Like literally they're able to evoke that. And there's not a lot, you know, that's maybe more leadership than management. Um, I don't know if anything stands out from the interviews and I've interviewed so many different people, the former CEO of Pepsi, uh, NFL players, chairman of joint chiefs of staff. I don't know if there's a trend that stands out there other than just a desire to grow and excel like this high achieving function. And you see it in their families, you mm. see it in their physical performance, you see it in their leadership. And I think that that's a great hallmark of people who succeed is that they're always learning. They're always growing. They're always pushing themselves. And, you know, of course, does every person from the military background have that? Of course not. But I'd say more, more often than your average person, there is that desire to excel, that desire to deliver and overperform. So like my big takeaways of, of the folks that both inspired me that, and then the folks that also helped drive me out of the army uh, is <laughs> one would be trust, right? The folks that trust you or you're, you're able to earn their trust. It's a much different situation than the people that do not trust you, you know? Um, and as you can gain that trust, you get more freedom of movement. You, you, you get more leash to go hang yourself with for lack of a better term, right? It's like, if, if I can, build the initial trust with the new boss, he can leave my unit alone and I can have a larger space to go manage and effectively lead my people without being bothered from the boss. Um, I'm oversimplifying it, but you know, we all just want freedom and maneuver to kind of run our, our unit or run our business, how we want to, how we think is best with a little bit of left and right guidance. And, and uh, the easiest way to not be able to do that is if your boss doesn't trust you. The other thing that, that really stood out to me is teamwork. And yeah, it's cliche. We've all seen the posters on the conference room walls where, you know, it's got like the lion jumping through the hoop or something and it says teamwork. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you can create the culture in the organization where no one truly cares who gets the credit. It's just about achieving the goal or the mission. It's amazing what people will do. The egos fall by the wayside. And, and you know, there's you don't fly thousands of hours in combat with no accidents or incidents by accident. It's, it's, it's a culture. It's, you know, it's a lifestyle that people want to live. They're proud of who they are and who they work with. And, and once you establish that teamwork and that rapport, it's just amazing what can happen. And then I just want to echo on Justin's point about hunger. Um, it is amazing to see the drive of veterans, the drive of folks on active duty, you know, in all compos of the service, but Military folks are just wired different. I think that's why they joined the military in a sense. And, and I'm not saying that these folks don't exist on the civilian world. They certainly do. I've met them. I work with some of them. But there's just something about veterans with they're they're never satisfied. They're always looking for what's the next challenge? What's the next certification I can go get? What's what's the next business idea I can maybe bring to fruition? So I don't know where that drive, that sense of curiosity comes from. Maybe it's from how they were raised, maybe it's from the shared experience of sucking situations in the military, but whatever it is, it's, it's, you just find so many driven veterans just crushing it on the outside. And, and I think a lot of that is from the crucible of their service. 
Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I was going to hit on from Justin's um, statement before too, is it seems like that's the dedication to service is, is a really key thing. And, and there are people in the civilian world that definitely have it, but you see it with so many people that have that military background where um, they want to serve others. They want to serve a greater purpose and they find a way to align around that and get other people aligned around it really quickly. And I just think that makes a huge difference because you know, there's this stewardship that then happens on your team and within your organization where they grow it as a community, they grow the people around them, like you were talking about. Um, it's just so evident um, when I when I work with, you know, different military people. I'm actually working with my brother right now. We small little startup and we're doing some stuff and it's all military people that we're working with on this team. And I'm continually impressed with their ability just to figure problems out and solve things. Mm. Like you give them a little bit of a direction and they just go and take it and do, and do stuff. Um, it's it's pretty amazing thing. And, um, you know, you see some teams that can do that in the civilian world, but like they just, it just seems so natural for them. Um, well, you know, two, two things that come up when you say that is, um, you know, one of the, one of the trends that we've seen in these, these 380 veterans that we've interviewed for beyond the uniform is, um, what you said, purpose, like purpose is massive for so many of them in the work they do. And almost everyone talks about this experience of, you know, I picture Wiley Coyote running over the cliff and realizing the ground's not underneath you of realizing there needs to be that reorientation process when you get out of like, okay, what is, what is my mission? What is my purpose? What is driving me? And that's, you know, definitely a trend of, of people there. Like they're driven by often causes and something bigger than themselves. And they can have to find that for themselves once they leave the military. But the second thing that we've seen is that um, so many of these veterans do such a poor job advocating for themselves once they leave the military. And like Steve said, like they're so committed to getting the job done that they they will say like, oh, you know, my team did X, Y, and Z. And I always like to tell when I was at business school, you know, there was a guy who, you know, talked about working on launch. He's like, oh, I launched satellites. I'm like, oh my God, that's impressive. And then I learned out months later, he was on a team of like a thousand people that launched satellites. I'm like, oh, I... I would never have said that. I would be like, I'm on a team that launches satellites versus like, I am the person doing this. And I think it's really important for those to know who are hiring veterans that like, they're not going to be good out of the gates selling what they have done because it's so cultured against that. It's so cultured about not talking about what you've done. It's about what the team has done, what doing everything as a team. And that can really be a liability when you're up in a job interview against someone who's going to be really tooting their own horn. And that's something to you that feels so viscerally wrong. Yeah, I so I, I completely agree with that statement. And I hate it. Uh, and what I mean by that is I, I feel like that is that's something we should culturally embrace, regardless of whether it's the private sector or the military. Right. Like so much of our work and a lot of the things that Jeff and I talk about is it is it is the power of teams that is propelling us to the next level um, for a lot of the products that we're putting out there. It's not an individual. You know, it, it wasn't even this. Uh, we use uh, who, who Thomas Edison, the light bulb. Right. Like everybody thinks of Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb. But no, he had 100 other scientists working there with him. There was a team, uh, and for, for better or worse, people uh, attribute uh, to that one person. But we're, we're, sorry, where, where I'm going with, with this thought is, you know, when we're thinking about private sector, when we're thinking about organizations, corporations, even small companies, right, we, I, I do feel like we are moving more towards the team. And 
being a team player in is, is uh silly as that sounds like that is going to be front and center moving forward. So it might be a little bit of a detriment as we're working through that. But if you're going into organizations uh, and, you know, the buzzword is agile organizations, um, like that's what they're looking for. They really are looking for people who can help um, outperform with other team members because it's not just a one plus one equals two situation. It's a one um, times three equals whatever. You know, it or what I'm getting as more of a multiplier versus just an addition of another team member. Yeah, and then what I've seen is you know people with military experience like they're really good at a lot of things we described. People might think of as soft skills or leadership skills. And it's hard to measure some of those things because they're not the technical skills that I'm looking for on a resume. And I think those are the most valuable things for employers out there that are hiring people. Like those are always the problems that Jeff and I are dealing with when we go into an organization. They're almost always people problems. They're very rarely like we don't have the technical knowledge to do something because that's usually something we can overcome pretty easily. Hey, Jeff, I had a thought though. Um, yeah, like, go for it. Have so I don't know if you've worked with many veterans or if you've been part of a hiring process for many veterans, but Justin, Jeff, and I are all, I mean, we're all institutionalized. We're all drinking the Kool-Aid, right? We think that we're the hottest thing since sliced bread. So from your perspective, like, what are veterans doing wrong? Like, what are veterans not doing right? What can they improve upon? Because a lot of people listen to our show and they want to know, okay, I'm not a Surface Academy graduate that hit a huge IPO and now retired to my yacht. Like, I'm a guy in the trenches trying to figure out my next move what have you seen is, is, is wrong or like what's some of the scar tissue that you can share with our folks that you've seen from veterans getting out, maybe misstepping a little bit. Yeah. I think it's the translation of words that you use in the military to words that are used in the business world. Um, some common mistakes might be like using a bunch of acronyms that use the military world. Cause I don't know what those mean. Like even me, like I'm around my brother all the time. We talk about stuff and I don't know what he means. I have to ask him and not everybody knows. And so then they can't really put that into context. And so I think that's one mistake. I think also practicing or talking with other people that are, um, that are maybe in the civilian world that are in that line of business that you want to get in, like learn that language so you can translate what you did to, um, you know, to, to what they're used to hearing, to the terms that they're used to hearing. Because I think that there's, I mean, there's some major projects and, you know, initiatives and huge budgets that people in the military, like, are working with. And people at, at that sometimes younger age never get that opportunity to work with that kind of dollars, right? And that kind of responsibility. They don't know how to mitigate risk. Um, they don't need to know how to inspect and adapt and, like, change positions de depending on, you know, what's happening. And those are really good skills to sell. Maybe not so much like the activity of what you did, but I think it's more like um, what you were thinking about, how you, how you got there, you know, how you changed your thought process, um, how you mitigated risk. I think that's a good one. How you inspect and adapt, how you got feedback and then learn from that. I think if you can articulate those skills, those are things that translate really well in the business world. I want to also add into the year um, back, back when I was a hiring manager, um, one of the things, so it, there's one person distinctly that I'm thinking about when I tell this story. Um, but one, he was a, a prior service Marine, um, super, super great guy. He's currently at Microsoft now. So just, just top notch all around. But one of the, I, this was after I had, had, um, gone through with, with my training. So I, I kind of knew what to expect from a prior service individual com coming in the door. I knew 
the, the ability to execute an order. I, I knew the ability to follow through with a mission. Um, but in, in like civilian terms, from my organization perspective, I knew that this person was going to be dependable. I knew that this person was going to have a no bullshit attitude. If something wasn't correct, they were going to let me know about it. Um, and, and just like uh, Justin, you were talking about earlier, like almost that scrappy entrepreneurship, they were going to get something done. Um, and so when when we were so that was what I what I knew coming into it. But one of the other things that he sold me really well on in, in the interview process was he just talked about things from the perspective of these are just different skills. All right. In the Marines, I, I didn't know how to shoot a gun until I went in and then I started shooting a gun. All right. And, and I learned how to use that weapon. Um, he, I forget what it's called in the Marines. So forgive me. But he was basically infantry. Right. And so. Um, all those skills that he learned, he didn't know them until he went through a crash course for a few months, learned them, and then was put into combat situations and had to continually learning new skills. And as, as a manager, that's what I want. I want somebody who just looks at the job as a collection of skills that you can learn over time. Um, if you don't have them today, that's fine. Like we, we understand that no, nobody is born with the ability to talk, walk and understand, right? You, you barely don't shit yourself, right? And we're all successful when that happens, right? So just present everything as a set of skills that you can acquire over time, given the, the time and the space to do so. Um, and other than that, just like, I want a good team player. So th those were the kind of the things that I thought about from a hiring perspective when I was interviewing and really the things that set that individual apart from the other people that I was talking with. And I, another thing that Jeff made me think of is I went, if there's a long list of skills that somebody wants, like in a job posting, don't think you need to have all of them. Most managers are putting together a wish list when they put that out there. Like this is the ideal perfect person. I this if I could have all a unicorn, they would have all these things. You know, there's not many of them out there. And so to echo Jeff's point, like you know, as long as you show the ability to learn and pick things up, and you know, a passion for that, I think most people will be receptive to it. I, I guess I'm curious, Steve and Justin, like what what was the biggest thing that you had to do to transition from you know your military mindset of what you were used to, you know, early in your career to, to now being in the business world. You want to go first, Steve? Yeah, sure. So I'd like to think I didn't struggle with this, but I think all veterans do. And it's, it's that nobody really owes you anything, right? Like just because you served, it doesn't mean that they're going to open up a C-suite position with a similar title, with a similar pay scale and a similar scope of responsibility. Um, a lot of people get out and they think, well, I was a battalion commander or I was a command sergeant major or whatever it is. And I can just step into that organization in a similar type role. And if you reverse that thinking, it's like, if you were a C-suite executive at Microsoft, would the army put you in charge of a battalion? Hell no. Right. <laughs> so it's like, why would you expect it to work the other way around? So I, I think the big takeaway for me was, you need to be humble coming out. Like, yeah, I serve, and that's just a part of my journey. It's a part of my chapter of who I am. But uh, just because I serve doesn't make me any better or any worse than anyone else here. And, and just that recognition that while I was away serving and flying helicopters and doing stuff, folks that didn't serve in the military are honing their craft. They're also going back to get their MBA. They are having the OJT. They're you know they're learning and honing their skills, and uh, they are they are ahead of me in the business acumen sense. I'm ahead of them in the leadership and exposure sense. But um, who's better, who's worse is a debate for someone in the HR realm or you know a first-line supervisor. So 
I think really just swallowing your pride and understanding like you served, that's a part of you, but that's not who you are. That doesn't define you. And, and folks that carry their rank forward, um, nobody likes that person. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's the number one, that sense of entitlement. That's like the, the liability. I think for me, you know, I, I fortunately had time in, um, I had two years at business school to transition and, and I, always viewed myself as like very civilian in a military perspective. I wasn't GI Joe. And so I was surprised to realize like, wow, there's a lot transitioning here and um, little, everything from little things like, uh, you know, we'd be meeting up to go to lunch and I would be there five minutes early and everyone would be there 15 minutes late. And that went on for like a year before I was like, I guess I'm just going to show up 15 minutes late. Um, That's like one or another one is just realizing how much I didn't know. So I, I had lunch with a classmate of mine who was an investment banker and I thought he was a teller at a bank. Like I just didn't know any of the potential career paths and just had a lot of ignorance to overcome. But I, I also think of my, my wife works as an executive coach. She works with CEOs, VPs of sales, C-suite executives. And um, she works with, a, a, she's worked with many veterans. And what she tells me, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like you're a fish in water. It's hard for you to see these things. What she says is like, you know, most people I work with who come from a military background, they um, like the two things that have that have come up is, is one um, I interpret as kind of like difficulty with nuance. Like they very often go to a place of black and white, right or wrong, good or bad, rather than just kind of like gray areas, which is, is what most of life is. Um, And then second of all, she, she views it. And also in me, maybe when we get into marital spats as like a, an inflexibility and um, you know, it'll be, you know, with many of her clients, if there's a rescheduling, it just happens. And for the military people with a military background, there's just like less flexibility, less, it's like more rigidness, which makes sense given the amount of structure. So I don't want to be like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth because I feel like veterans are very or uh, veterans are very nimble at being able to adapt to an ambiguity. But I do see this tenor of, you know, rigid, wanting the structures, wanting the rules, wanting to follow the rules, not wanting to break the rules. Like I, I can sense how that's part of our DNA that we might have to unlearn to be able to be in a more agile environment. How about you, Jeff? Was was there because you were kind of doing both? Like you were in, you were on, you know software development teams, and then you went into the military. And so did you have the opposite problem where like maybe you were used to being a little bit more flexible and and then you had to rein it in and put a little more structure around things when you would put that, you know, your military hat on? Um, no, but but I did chuckle when Justin was talking about being five minutes early and everybody's 15 minutes late. Like there, there are a lot of things that they hammered into school or hammered into my head when going through OCS. Um, one of them was if, if you're on time, you're late, right? Like you need to be early to everything. Um, and that's just part of how, how you operate. Um, going through uh, boot camp was, was the second hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And then officer candidate school being the first hardest. And mostly because um, when, I had, when I was going through, they, they knew I was an E4. They knew I was going to OCS. And so I, I had a fantastic... Um, uh, cadre who, who put me in as a, like, I think it's called a platoon lead at the time, um, but basically in charge. And like, there is nothing more frustrating, at least that I have experienced than trying to lead 18 year olds who just don't give a fuck. Like they do not care. Uh, like this is, 
like boot camp was a learning experience all around. And so it was, it was just super stressful. And so that taught me a lot about as much as I thought I knew about some, some good leadership topics, but really the need to delegate down to your, to your, to each of your, your team leads um, and how they need to delegate down because trying to micromanage 40 people uh, in your own little platoon, like that just, that just wasn't going to happen for you, for me. Um, And I, and I suspect not for most people. So um, it wasn't the other way around. It was just a lot of herding cats. So at at least for that portion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You make me think of stories that my brother used to tell me where, you know, he's like, I just, at times he'd be like, I can't wait till I don't have to be worried about all the, everybody that I, their reports to me, you know, social lives and their personal lives. When they mess up, then I got to take ownership and, Oh, they got a DWI. Now I got to go, you know, get them out of jail or I got to go do this. You know, like they do these things that are, you know, put a lot of stress on me and now I got to go deal with it. And it's like, I was going to go to the beach this weekend. Now I got to go take care of them, you know? And, um, and that's a different type of ownership. I don't know that people in the, you know, civilian world realize like how hard that would really be. Like I thought about that being like, I don't know that I'd ever want to take that on that responsibility for everybody's personal life. Um, that would be a really, really difficult thing, but um, probably a lot of growth that comes from doing that and a lot of responsibility, um, and really just care for people. So it's a, it's an, I don't know. What are your it, thoughts, Justin? It, well, it's funny when you say that, cause I, I realized, um, another thing I had to unlearn. So in the, the, at least on submarines in the Navy, there's this big concept of fraternization where it's like you have officers leading and there's, uh, uh, a required separation from the enlisted. Like, like I remember, when I was in, it was understood that if my department was having, or my division was having to like a get together, you know, I would show up, I'd stay for an hour and then I'd leave. Like I would interact, but I wouldn't intrude on them being able to let their hair down. And I also wouldn't want to get so familiar. And I, I think the theory here is that if I ever had to give an order that might result in someone having to sacrifice their life, they're not going to have, you know, like, oh man, Justin puked on my shoes that one time. What an asshole. Like you don't, you, don't, you, you need a separation. And I remember, you know, for the first two or three years I was running my first company and, and we had a larger team. I, I, I carried that over. Like I just, I was always trying to keep people at arm's distance. And it, it took me, you know, honestly probably took about five years until I realized like, I'm not giving life or death orders here. Like I can, I can relate to these people like anyone else. And, and it was, at least for me, it was a mindset shift of not having to feel like I had to keep people away and could just be myself. And, you know, if I need to have a difficult conversation, great, but we can all switch gears like that. And I didn't need to try to um, shield myself or them from just relating as human beings. Yeah, that's a, I think even, you know, new managers might struggle with that where they go the other way, you know, where they think that they can still be a team, like they can just be another one of the team members and they can go out and, you know, hang out with the team and, you know, have a great time. And like you said, you know, you know, you puke on somebody's shoes, not a big deal, but like it's a little different when you're the manager um, and or the leader. <laughs> what, well, one of the questions I had for, for Justin and Steve, I mean, we, we talked a lot about leadership earlier, but I, I, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, um, like what were, I, I don't, it, it doesn't sound like you're still flying helicopters today or navigating submarines today. So those weren't the skills that translated over to a civilian career for you. 
Um, but like, what were the things that you took away from your military service that you felt like set you up for success in, in your civilian careers? Sure, I'll go first. Um, I drive it like I own it. So just a sense of ownership that, hey, this is your platoon, this is your company, this is your mission, whatever it might be, just, you know, when you're in charge, take charge. Uh, so I've seen that translate to my civilian career is that when I'm given a task, it's like, this is my task. Let me run this thing to the ground. Let me run it to completion. Um, so that was one thing, just kind of like, I'm just going to own it. Second is a high motor. Uh, I just, I, I just thrive on the challenge of accomplishing something. And, and I think that adrenaline rush when you're flying helicopters or doing high risk missions, it's obviously not the same when you're trying to, um, get a submittal in on time, you know, for a contract, but it, it's still like, I try to put that in almost the same bucket of like, this is important. This needs to get done, uh, to set that intermediate goal to accomplish it. And, and then just really, it's just, um, for me, the interpersonal skills piece being in the army, I, I, I was everything from a great guy to an asshole and in between. And, and it, you just really get a sense of what works and what doesn't how to indirectly influence people. I mean, my first job out of the army, I was working at a, um, a small avionics manufacturer. They put little black boxes on jets and helicopters and, and three people reported to me, but there were 130 people that made the product that I was responsible for. So it's like I leaned heavily on the indirect influence that I learned in the army to be able to influence people to, to help us collectively get to where we had to go. But really it was my ass on the red carpet if we didn't get there. So uh, yeah, those are the few things that really stood out for me. I think for me, one is um, one is kind of the trust of like, I, I really appreciate 10 years out, 12 years out from the military. Like if I run across a random stranger and I realize they're from the military, it's just like an instant dropping down of like, okay, what's up? I know we have a lot of um, integrity values in common, right? Like I, I, in general, I'd trust you to watch my backpack while I go take a leak or whatever, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> something I probably wouldn't do for most people. So there, so I got that going for me. Um, I think, that, you know, maybe on the flip side, I, I think that, and, and some of this comes from family of origin, not, not necessarily just the military, but, um, I feel like it's been a 10 year journey and realizing like, I have to advocate for myself and it can't just, you know, like my first company story box, everything was about pouring my life into the company. I didn't really pay myself a salary. I didn't, I, I made so many sacrifices that I shouldn't have. And I think part of that came from the military of like, you know, company first, you know, putting the organization first and having to retrain myself to be like, this only wins if, if I'm successful and the organization and our clients, like there's so many stakeholders besides just making sure that, that the team wins. I'm, I'm an important part of that. Um, I think the, the work ethic, like, you know, when I raised money for my first company, one of the guys said like, Hey, I, I like investing in veterans cause you guys know how to get up at 5.00 AM and get stuff done. And I don't think that that's worn off, like the ability to just grind and just deal with a lot of garbage is kind of like, you know, um, that's, that's pretty good to bring from the military. Um, trying to think of anything else comes up, but I think those are the the main ones. How did you, um, I guess, how did you get over the, you know, I need to advocate for myself. I need to be able to sell myself, but how did you, you know, switch that mindset and, and learn to do that? Um, 
I think, you know, I think it's honestly, it can, it's a, it's a work in progress and probably will be. I, I took a job, you know, four years ago working for a startup and, and I, it was not a good experience. It was my first time working for someone since the military. And I remember when I, I talked to a, I, I work with executive coaches, which is one way it's, it's helped me. But when I talked to this coach about it afterwards and he's like, Justin, if you spent a year of your life, had a miserable experience and all it is, is to teach you not to undersell yourself, that's a year well spent. And so like a very painful year, but I think that that's, you know, one thing that now when I work with companies, I'm like charging rates that are much higher and in, in, in really valuing myself. Um, I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, I do a lot of, a lot of personal growth work that I think helps with that, with like men's groups and with therapy and stuff like that. I think it's all just kind of addressing from different angles. Like, um, I, I view it as, you know, like you, you, you refresh your cache on your computer and so, or on a browser. And it's like, sometimes for myself and for the world, I, my, my cache is really out of date. Like I, I always tell the story, like I taught, I told myself in the military, I was a good manager. I wrote my business school applications about that. I told everyone in business school, I was a good manager. And four years into a running, running a company, I realized like I'm an awful manager. I can't really optimize performance. I can't have difficult conversations. So I had to like refresh the cash and realize like this is no longer true. And so I think that's part of it. Like when you talk about self-knowledge, it's about always trying to know who am I in this moment, which might be different than even a year ago or two years ago. And, um, I think that all factors into like being able to advocate for my worth. Cause it's like, I, I know what I can do. I know what I can do for a company. I know what I can do for a friend. I know what I can do for my partner and, and just starting to have more of a track record there. How about you, Steve? What, what are your thoughts? Like, uh, how did you, you know, switch that mindset or get that mindset to be able to advocate for yourself after you left the military? It is uncomfortable, but you have to do it. And, and, the way I would answer the behavioral interview questions, it would be like, okay, so my unit had an operational readiness rate 13% above the Army's standard. But that wasn't because of me. It was because of the team. And and I I just refused to sit there and be the spotlight ranger and and say, it was because of me that we had 19 helicopters with an operational readiness rate higher than normal. Like I'm not out there turning the wrenches, but – as I thought through how to answer that question and kind of knowing myself, like I did provide a lot of the resources, a lot of the freedom of maneuver, a, a lot of the supporting elements to help those maintainers go out and do their job effectively. So it was just rethinking my contribution to the overall end state and then just being able to articulate that. And, and you know, I have a document that, that I put together. I'm happy to send it to any listeners that want it, but it's a star statement, you know, situation, task, action, and result. When you think through that, you know, if you can think of seven or eight star statements from your career, you can answer almost any behavioral question. You know, when's the time you dealt with a problem employee? Like, I've got that canned answer ready to go. So it's just, you know, it's, it's yes, I'll answer the question with like, I did this, but it was as a part of this organization. And then I begin the storytelling narrative where the story goes from, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, my unit had the OR rate of X percent, but we achieved it. And this is how we did it. So I know I'm not really kind of answering your question directly, but it's just a matter of being able to understand your your contribution to the overall um, success and how can you properly articulate that. Yeah, that readiness rate might mean nothing to me without it. You know, I don't know what that means. Is 18 good? I don't know. Is that what's average? You know, going over yeah. that. And so, uh, like, so I think talking about. Go ahead. 
No, sorry. Like if the standard was 75%, we were 13% above that, you know, but yeah. But then being able to articulate, here's how we got there. And here's the things I did as a leader to help create an environment where people could be successful. That's what's really important. And I think that's really cool the way you, you articulate that and figured that out. I'll, I'll, I'll just add one more thing. I know we only have a couple minutes left here. Yep. I think it's interesting as Steve was talking to realize like, oh, like this is this is interesting because I've had an opportunity as a friend to work with Steve and and also kind of viewing it through the lens of, of two veterans working together. And, and I feel like, you know, especially for those managing other veterans, like the two things that stand out for me in working with Steve, and I think this is representative, is like transparency. Like whenever we have a discussion and, and side projects, he's like a hundred, he is unbelievably transparent in what he's doing, what he's getting paid, what his rates are, what his expectations are in a way that I would never expect someone else to be. And I feel like... Um, you know, I, I try to anticipate that with like, I need to be the one who's going to be challenging him to charge more, even though it costs me more money, because I know that his loyalty as a friend, his loyalty as part of an organization will be that he will, he's not, I, you know, I don't think him or most veterans are going to be the one who's going to walk in and be like, you pay me 300 grand tomorrow or I'm out of here. You know, they're just like, not going to do that, even though that might be what's required at certain points. So it's like, me like knowing like, Hey, I need to be the one prompting like, Hey, you know, you're actually worth more at this point. And like, hopefully continuing to like anticipate that and hold him to that standard of like, you're, you're worth more. But I think that, you know, that's myself too. It's like, I do that. I'll like, especially for other veterans, it's like, Hey, I can do this at a minimum, you know? And it's like really respecting that and just maybe going out on a limb and and giving them the benefit of the doubt or giving them more they're going to ask for because they're, they're team players. They're making sacrifices. They believe in the organization and you don't want to abuse that. You don't want to like take advantage of that. It's a great, that's a great lesson learned and a great place maybe to end this. Um, I guess, thank you so much for like coming together and recording this podcast with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. I hope, I think our listeners are really going to appreciate it. I think we talked about a lot of great items that, um, takeaways for both of our, you know, communities. Is there anything you want to plug in, you know, in particular, like, I mean, to our listeners? For me, I'd say, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you know anyone in the military or military community, military spouse, veteran, I think beyondtheuniform.org is a great resource, over 380 episodes for free of just incredible stories of people crushing it after three years of service or 30 years of service. And it's, it's really inspiring. And then for anyone who's in marketing or interested in marketing, captivate.ai is a great resource to supercharge your social media using podcasts, webinars, and things like that. Yeah. I would echo what Justin said, obviously about beyond the uniform. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, and then one of my side hustles is I help consult with a project management training company. So uh, if any listeners are interested in getting their ACP, their PMP, SAFE, whatever it might be, we deal with a lot of veterans. So um, we're able to help you translate your military experience into something that PMI can approve on the application. <laughs> so um, just I'll avail myself to help anybody with anything, uh, you know, whether it be transition or getting your PMP or whatever it might be. But we're just really humbled and appreciative of the opportunity today, Jeff times two. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. 
We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.